In the Bible, you find metaphors used over and over again. And one particular metaphor that you see throughout the book of Ephesians is the metaphor of building. Peter himself uses a similar metaphor as Paul, thinking about the church being built. Have you ever built anything? Maybe you've been a part of a a home building, or maybe you've just watched out your office window as the building across the way is built. You don't need to be an expert in building anything, but, but as you think about it, there has to be a plan. If you're going to build something small in your backyard, you're going to have a plan. You might not have it formalized, written down on a piece of paper, but you do have something going on in your mind. You've thought about maybe particular steps. Step one, I'm going to you know, think about where I'm going to put it or I'm going to think about how big it is going to be. You're not going to show up to Home Depot, buy supplies, and you don't really know how big it's going to be. It's going to be kind of pointless. Now, we know that one of the things that often happens in the building trades is that architectural plans are drawn up. One of the very first things that happens is some plan is put in place. Some blueprint is drawn up by really, really smart people that have not actually ever built anything before, which is kind of interesting. Um, but they uh, are engineers who know how to put things together, and they lay out a plan, and then those plans are passed on to someone else, and that, that person has to implement those plans, put them into place. Uh, they don't just throw plans on the floor and say, okay, let's figure it out. No, there's a step, there's a process, right? Uh, so, for example, if you were going to build a building like this, of course, you're not going to have the drywallers come on the first day, right? Uh, they're going to come much later, right? The painters don't come when they're laying the foundation. It would be kind of silly. They'd just be standing around. Oh, first, you're going to lay the foundation. You're going to do whatever work needs to be done. Maybe move some dirt around, make it a little bit more uh, sound, and then lay your foundation. And of course, you're going to bring in your carpenters, and they're going to uh, frame up the building. And then from there, the various trades will come in. You're going to need to have lights and plumbing and and uh, of course, we're Americans, so we need to have HVAC. We need to have heating and cooling. We can't, heaven forbid, we live in a home without air conditioning. Right, Scott? Um, and uh, amen, see? There's a plan. And there's a plan to follow. And these steps are followed. And if they get out of sort or they get out of order, well, of course, things are just chaotic. As we think about the church, God hasn't just left the church to kind of figure it out. He hasn't just said, hey, you know, here's kind of what I'm looking for, and I'm just going to let you kind of figure out how to put it together. No, Jesus, for example, in Ephesians 5, Paul says that the church is the bride of Christ, right? Uses that metaphor. Very familiar with that. You hear it in weddings often, you know, uh, the husband is to care for his wife the way Jesus cares for his wife, the church, his bride. And as we think about that language, uh, uh, that metaphor of a bride, we're the bride of Christ. Well, if that's true, I think probably Jesus cares about his bride. He cares about how his church is structured and organized. He doesn't just leave it to chance. He reveals in his word his plan and purpose for every local church, for our lives together. He doesn't say, just follow me blindly. But he says, follow me and I'll show you how to do it. And this morning, we want to think about God's plan for the church. 
to continue what we've been studying. We've been thinking about the church for a few weeks now. And we want to think particularly here this morning about how God has gifted the church, particularly gifted it with leaders and how that plan unfolds. But we've been thinking about this in the context of unity. One of God's designs for the church is to have a church of every tribe, tongue, and nation unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Ephesians has been kind of God's master plan for the church. He said, this is from eternity past. This is how I hope to unfold this. This is how this will be implemented through my son, saving sinners, bringing them and making them one in Christ. He, he shared with us how when this is all working, when, when the church is unified, how it is like a beacon that sh- shines his glory. And how God has gifted each one of us. Last week, we thought about how every member has been gifted for service. And we're going to think a little bit more specifically this morning how that happens. Uh, How you use your gifts for service in the local church. How you're discipled and trained. What's God's plan for you So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to consider this morning uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Before we read that, I want to point you in just this context here. The main exhortation in this passage comes in verse 1, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We're to live lives that are characterized by being followers of Christ. So, so we can't just say we're followers of Jesus. Our lives have to match, right? And if they don't match, something's wrong. Something's broken down. And Paul is exhorting the church and saying, you need to live lives that commend the gospel. And here's how you do it. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he went into the basis of that. And he said in verses 9 through 10 that, listen, Christ has gifted the church. He is the risen and ascended Lord, and he has given these gifts, distributed them like a victorious king who has just conquered a foreign land. He has passed out these gifts to his church. And so this morning we want to think, what are these gifts? Who are they? Where do they come from? We know they come from Jesus, but what are they? Look here in verse 11 and 12. Paul continues. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This morning, we want to consider that the risen and ascended Lord builds his church by gifting it with people who preach the word of God so that the saints are edified and equipped for service in the local church. We want to think about this sort of connecting steps. Step one, step two, step three. Uh, You can think of it as chains in a link. Each are chained together. You you can't get one without the other. They're, They're connected together. You can't just skip ahead to step three and have a church of equipped saints without apostles prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. 
And so this morning, we want to notice here and recognize that this gift of godly leaders and to see our responsibility as individual members, that we are responsible for service in the local church. So we want to think about that this morning. So I have three points that I want us to consider this morning. Three steps to building a spiritually mature church. That's the aim. That's the goal. That's the purpose of all of this, right? Is the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood. So the aim is spiritual maturity. How do we get there? First, have, a, have gifted people who teach God's word. Step one is have gifted people who teach God's word. Now, really quick, I want to clarify from last week, just kind of remind us if you're new to this. Um, when I use the f- two, two words, growing and gifted, all right, let's, let's get our G's right here this morning. Growing does not mean numerical growth, okay? So when I'm using God wants to grow the church, I'm really not so worried about the numerical side. I care about the spiritual side. Because we could have a real big crowd here and none of y'all are going to heaven. That's not going to help anybody. All right? Uh, Okay? So, growing and then finally gifted. We use that word a lot and I want to clarify. We might say, oh, well, that boy is gifted, right? There's some sort of innate quality in him. He's gifted, right? Uh, Or a musician. Wow, that's a gifted musician. In other words, we often use that in our vocabulary to mean there is something about them that's unique or special. But we don't often attribute where that comes from. We don't attribute that that really awesome musician is gifted because he's created by God in his image. And that's just a a reflection of God's character in his life, right? So when I say gifted leaders, I don't mean men who just, you know, in the eyes of the world are really rock stars, okay? But who have been gifted by God. Does that make sense? So in other words, I'm a loser. Uh, I'm nobody. I have no ability to preach the gospel if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower me to do that. Okay? No more than you have the ability uh, to be an encourager or you know, an administrator, whatever God has gifted you with, apart from his gifting. All right? We're clear on our G's now. Step two. So first, we have to have gifted people. Secondly, we see that these gifted people have to do something. And we'll think about what they have to do, and that's namely to edify and equip the congregation. And then thirdly, the sort of final step, is that we need to have gifted saints who serve the body. That if we just have a church filled with members who aren't serving, I would argue maybe we don't even have a church. So let's think about those three points this morning. First, notice what Paul says in verse 11. That he gave, well, who's the he here? The he is Jesus. Uh, Particularly thinking about the ascended Lord, the risen and ascended Lord, the one who ascended far above all the heavens and to fulfill all things, to rule all things and reign supremely. This ascended Lord gave gifts. He gave gifts and and he didn't just give monetary gifts. He didn't give you you think about it. Jesus. I mean, God owns the world, right? (laughs) He doesn't like establish some sort of territory. Like, that's the church. This is your land. You can have. No, no. He, he, and he doesn't give us like monetary things either. He doesn't like rain money from heaven. He gives people, right? Jesus gives people. 
That's how he does this. That's the transaction that we see taking place here. He is giving people, and, and notice there's four, I'm going to argue here this morning that there are four groups of people that he has identified here. And uh, I'll clarify because you might be looking like, well, I see five here. Um, there's, there's four. First, the apostles. The apostles. The apostles were those who were particularly called out by Jesus and given authority. The word apostolos, apostle, simply means one who is sent. So if I send you on an mission, if I say, hey, I want you to go get that, you're an apostle. You've been sent with, with authority. So if I say, hey, I want you, um, to, we're going to go over to the attorney's office and we're going to do a power of attorney. Right. And I and and so basically what I'm saying is you have authority to speak on my behalf. You can make decisions as if I am making those decisions. Right. So what Jesus did is he sent out a group of 12 men who were set apart for a particular purpose. The apostles, ones who had authority to lay down and interpret the scriptures. All right. So this morning, what we are studying in your Bible here in Ephesians was written by an apostle. You'll notice at the very beginning of the letter, Paul identifies him as identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. Later in chapter two, notice here, look at chapter two. um, Verse 20. That, the, that this church is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then in chapter 3 and verse 5, that, that the gospel was not made known to, to others in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, that what the apostles laid down in is Scripture. They spoke as if Jesus was speaking. That's why we study God's word, particularly the apostles teaching here. uh, One of the apostles teaching as authoritative. In other words, we're not this isn't like Paul's opinion about what he thinks a church should do and, and be. This is a message that is spoken as if Jesus of Nazareth had spoken it himself. So it's an authoritative message. And so Jesus's plan was to send out men who would lay the foundation and teach what he taught them to teach. You remember all those three years that his disciples had spent with him. Jesus was teaching them and the disciples didn't understand everything. They were they were kind of confused at times. They were like, I don't know what that means. And you remember what Jesus said to them in the high priestly prayer? He says, listen. I'm going to send, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then you will understand all things, as Paul pointed to here, by the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit taught these men, revealed to these men, what they were to write down. And so Jesus lays his church, he builds a foundation. And so this morning, as you think about being equipped, you are being equipped this morning by the apostles. Every time you open your Bible and read it, you're being equipped by the apostles. They are teaching you about who Jesus is. They are, they're showing you. I mean, it's an incredible treasury from 2,000 years ago that these men laid down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's word to you, and you can read it and understand what God's will is for your life. But not only did he give apostles, we see also he gave the prophets. Now, many times we understand like prophets, we think prophets as fortune tellers. 
or perhaps people that can see into the future. We often kind of narrowly think about the prophets that way. But, but Old Testament prophets weren't merely speaking new revelation about God. Uh, no, rather they were pointing people back to, to the law, to the word delivered uh, through Moses. And so the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were constantly just saying like, read your Bible. Open the law, read it. You're not obeying the law. And so oftentimes the, the prophets, you could say, were foretellers of God's word. In other words, they were, they were pointing people back to the scriptures. And yes, they did receive very unique revelation from God, but it always matched what God had already revealed in his word. And so when, when the church was being started in the book of Acts, you can read about this today and read through the book of Acts this afternoon and you can see these two particular offices of uh, apostle and prophet being used to lay the foundation of the church now our understanding of these two particular offices is that they have ceased that there are no longer apostles and prophets today uh, that there are no longer those who have the particular the very unique authority to speak on behalf of Jesus uh, in, in other words, the canon of Scripture is closed. So if someone was to come in and say, hey, I have received a word from the Lord and I want to share it to you. Well, they can share all they want, but I am not going to take that as an authoritative message, right? Uh, so the apostles and prophets have ceased. We live on, they live on through their words, Okay. And so we don't want to neglect them and say, okay, that's over with. We don't need to pay attention to that anymore. No, rather, it's right here. We need to give our attention to it. Well, Paul goes on. He says that Jesus not only gave apostles and prophets. Notice here he gave evangelists and shepherd teachers. The evangelists. Uh, the, these individuals were those who had a unique role in sharing the gospel. Uh, men like Philip and Timothy. You know, oftentimes we think of Timothy as the pastor in Ephesus, but really not true. He's only there just a short amount of time. Uh, Paul in 2 Timothy says this to him, fulfill your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, he was set apart as an evangelist. An evangelist is somebody who has the unique ability to communicate the gospel in a compelling way so that people repent and trust in Christ. Of course, modern day would be, uh, in your mind, as soon as you heard the word evangelist, Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham. That would be an example of an evangelist. Uh, someone who had a very unique ability to call people to faith and repentance. Uh, not everyone has that ability. Not, we say it often, right? Not everyone is Billy Graham. But the truth is, just because Billy's gone doesn't mean there's not still evangelists. Christ is gifted. Even this morning, I can think of a number of members I think are particularly gifted in evangelism. They have a particular desire and heart to see the lost people saved. Sometimes I'm blind and I'm going to confess, I just go through life kind of blind and I don't see lost people around me often. I'm a sinner in that way. But, but some of y'all, the way you talk about lost, the way you think about your friends and family... I, I just, I, I'm, I'm seeing the Spirit's work of an evangelist in you. You want to see people saved. And so you can't help it but talk about Jesus. Well, Christ has given you as a gift to this church. Evangelists are, are a unique gift to the church. 
meant to help build up. And you think about it, many of you might testify this morning that you came to faith in Christ through an evangelist. Maybe Billy Graham. This week, uh, one of my uh, formative uh, uh, religious pastors who men- mentored me, uh, yeah, he, he is a very, he's, he's a world-renowned scholar, right? He, he's just, of all across the board, denominationally, world-renowned scholar. And you know, he learned more, he, he said that in his early years from Billy Graham than anyone else. It was incredible to hear a, a scholar who, who's world-renowned. And I mean, you read his stuff, and it's deep. And, and, and he just learned it from Billy. Just learned Jesus. Uh, that may be your testimony this morning. Maybe it was through vacation Bible school. Someone who shared the gospel, that evangelist in that congregation who opened God's word and shared it with you. You, you see how Christ builds his church? Well, moving on here in the list, you'll see here, fourthly, or fifthly, depending on how we understand this verse, shepherds and teachers. You'll notice here a few footnotes in your Bible because your English Standard Version or, or whatever translation is probably trying to help you understand there's some confusion over whether or not these are two groups of people or rather one group that is further clarified. So, for example, are these shepherds and teachers, two groups of people, or are they shepherds who teach? Particularly thinking about the role of a shepherd. Well, the word here itself, the word shepherd, means pastor. And I, th- I think it's best to take it as functional. In other words, it means, uh, teacher means what a pastor does. Uh, Paul's point here, particularly focused on word ministry, apostles, prophets, and evangelists and shepherds have a unique Word ministry. In other words, you could summarize this list by saying they're all teachers of God's word. They're all communicators at at various levels of the word of God. Of course, shepherds have many different responsibilities outside of teaching. But teaching is the primary function. We'll we'll think about that more here in a moment. But I want to hone in just for a moment on that word shepherd. Pastor means shepherd. Our English word pastor comes from the Latin uh, for shepherd. So when you call someone a pastor, you're, you're identifying him as a shepherd. Someone who shepherds a flock. In the Old Testament, the uh, priests, the, the religious leaders were shepherds. of Jesus himself, right? Pointed to himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And pastors are under shepherds. Under the good shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus. This is how Peter writes. So I exhort the elders among you. Elders. Presbyteros. The the elders. Not not, notice. The elders among you. Shepherd. Pastor. The flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion. But willingly. As God would have you. Not for shameful gain. But eagerly. In that passage I pointed to when I preached through it a number of uh, years ago, that, Paul, that Peter packs into those three, into that one verse, all the forms of uh, Christian leaders that you hear. Bishop, overseer, elder, pastor, and well, Pope's not even in the Bible, so don't even worry about that. Uh, right? So you, so you hear all those right there. In other words, we believe those are all the same offices. An elder is a pastor, a pastor is an overseer, bishop, that's all the same thing. 
It's all just pointing to function. But the, but the picture is clear, isn't it? A pastor is one who shepherds, uh, one who, who leads, who cares for the flock. And the particular way he does that is through teaching ministry, to teach God's word, to preach God's word. Uh, pastors are like running a relay race. You could think about these four particular people, uh, groups here that are listed in verse 11 as, as, as runners in a relay race. Just passing the baton on from, ne- from, right? Well, I remember one of the things Billy would do often, Billy Grant, and he would say, you need to get into church. Don't just be walking aisles down here. You need to go to church. Because he saw and he recognized that, look, it's great that you know, you've, you've made some decision for Jesus, but if you don't get plugged into a local church, you won't stay follower of Jesus very long. And so many of the behind the scenes that went on in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was trying to plug people in. And they didn't do it well, but they tried. John Calvin commenting on this text, a particularly helpful comment he makes. Certain men appointed to that office of pastor are employed in preaching the gospel. This is the arrangement by which the Lord is pleased to govern his church, to maintain its existence and ultimately to secure its highest perfection. It's Jesus' plan for the church. You ever, you ever wonder why we do what we do in church? Well, it's because Jesus said so. And this list comprises these word teachers who possess a variety of a level of authority. One thing we want to be clear about is that pastors do not have apostle authority. They are not apostles. They cannot command you to do anything that has not been commanded in Scripture. All we're doing is teaching the apostles' teaching, all right? And so our authority is derived from the message of Scripture. We stand, our message is authoritative in so much as it's connected and driven by the text of Scripture. So if I just come up here and read words on a page that have nothing to do about this Bible, then it has no authority and it is not life-changing. We heard earlier, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And so Christ has gifted his church with people who teach the word of God. Well, let's look secondly here as he continues along that there is a purpose in teaching, that there is an aim in teaching. Namely, notice here in verse 12, three purpose statements that Paul makes. These are three purposes that build one upon another. To to equip for ministry, to equip the church for ministry, for building. You see the sort of three purposes there. Pastor's primary role is to teach with the aim of equipping. And honestly, I would say you're, prob- you're not preaching, teaching, if uh, people aren't being equipped, right? If people are not being equipped, you're not teaching. That's true, right? If you're a, a teacher of first grade math and the kids don't know how to do Math, I don't know if you probably need to be teaching anymore. Um, right? Teach, right? right? I'd be frustrated if you send your, my kid home and you, they've been with you all day learning how to do math and they can't do it, right? You're supposed to teach them. That's your job. And if you can't do that in an effective way, then you're not a teacher, right? Teachers teach. The word that Paul uses here to equip is a medical term that, you, that, that is used to, uh, in setting of a bone. In other words, it, it's set in place. 
Um, the church is equipped as it's set in place, set in motion in the right direction. And so pastors have this responsibility to equip God's people for service through training and discipleship. In fact, this is the qualification of an elder. This is what distinguishes an elder from a deacon. Uh, Apt to teach, able to teach. Not that deacons can't teach. I know many that are great teachers. But this is what separates it. In the list that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9, teaching is the primary function of the pastor. Right? Not running the office, not making copies, not you know, cleaning windows. Or uh, I've told this joke many, or not a joke, but a story many times. Um, it, it is quite sad, but because uh, there's probably some brother that took this job. Uh, oftentimes I will parouse, you know, job listings, not because I'm looking for a job, but I'm just trying to help brothers look for good churches. And, and uh, I remember coming across one in the qualifications that they were looking for is a guy who would shovel the snow. And I'm like, have they never heard of what a deacon is? Uh, you know, and probably some deacon came up with that uh, qualification. Uh, right? You know, so often we get out of sorts. Like, pastors are called to teach. That's not that we don't do other things. I mean, we're not beyond cleaning toilets and vacuuming carpet. But that's not the primary role of a pastor. And if you have him off doing other things, then what happens? You're not being equipped. The, the, the chain begins to, to fall apart. And so Paul here says that pastors are to be teachers that equip that prepare people. That is to be our gauge. Am I equipping? And there's many ways I fail in that. Part of the reflection and assessment on our congregation is not like, I'll do this. This is, this is something I thought about this week. You know, I, I talk with a lot of pastors. And you know, pastors have this particular knack. You would be embarrassed. Pastors, when they get together, one of the first things that happens is they complain about their people. Seriously, I'm serious. Like, I know most, you know, none of y'all are pastors, so y'all never been there. Uh, but let me tell you that it, it happens. You, you, it, it could be cross denominations. I mean, it doesn't, it's, this, is a, this is a serious issue. And one of the things I was thinking about this in light of this text this week, because I was with some pastors this week and they were, you know, complaining. And I was thinking, you know, you want to complain about your church not serving. And this was an, I, I was convicted by this. But it's your responsibility to equip them to serve. So if they're not serving, maybe you're the problem, not them. We know also that the the role of teacher in the local church comes with greater judgment. Uh, James, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, says, hey, not many of you should consider to be teachers. In other words, he doesn't commend the, the practice because he knows that those who teach God's word will be held accountable. To exactly what I just pointed to. Are you equipping the saints? Are are they being edified and built up? If one was to take on the task of running a marathon, we know that it would require training and discipline, right? I mean, so you don't roll out of bed. Maybe you're one of these unique people who could roll out of bed and like run a few miles and you'd be good. I can't do that, like, you know, clearly, okay? So, So in order to do that, there's some training and discipline that is required for that, right? Uh, there's got to be some sort of plan in place. And, and pastor's role is to train and equip. And brothers and sisters, do you know where that happens? It happens right now. It's happening right now. Uh, maybe you knew what an apostle was. 
And that just, ah, I don't need Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't know what the role and responsibility, right? Each week, that's why we stress the gathering on the Lord's day, because this is where you are equipped, and then throughout the week as well. Again, Calvin, he continued. And yet this work, so admirable and divine, that is the work of the pastor, is here declared by the apostle to be accomplished by the external ministry of the word, that those who neglect this instrument should hope to become perfect in Christ is utter madness. Yet such are the fanatics. On the one hand, who pretend to be favored with secret revelations of the spirit and proud men, on the other hand, who imagine that to them the private reading of Scripture is enough, and they have no need of the ordinary ministry of the church. Do you see the importance of expositional preaching in this church and for your personal spiritual growth? Expositional preaching is what we do each week, and it's simply this. We take the point of the passage, it becomes the point of the sermon, and we apply it to your life. That's it. So next Sunday, when Rod preaches from Ecclesiastes, he's going to take the point of that passage, he's going to tell you what it means, and he's going to apply it to your life. This is what expositional preaching is. Our aim is to exhort and explain. And the church is equipped in proportion to the amount of word work they receive. Honestly. Some of us have have really struggled in our spiritual growth because we weren't feeding or being fed on a regular diet of God's word. It was just whatever cute thing the preacher could come up with that Sunday. And he cobbled it together. And so the right, you know, the right understanding, understanding the word. And, and, you know, so often we sit in preaching and don't understand a thing that's going on. So it's one thing to be preached at. It's another thing to understand. So there's a correlation between, I believe, because this text says, between preaching and service. That if service isn't being done, it could be the pastor doing a bad job preaching. Well, finally here, step three. We see in these purpose statements that he makes that there's a purpose to teaching, and that is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The purpose of the pastor teacher's work is to equip the saints to do ministry. The word Paul uses here for ministry is the word deacon. So in in one sense, there is the office of deacon, who models service, but then every single member in the church has been equipped to be a deacon. If you are a Christ follower and you've turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, you have been gifted in this ministry of service. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You are ready day one for ministry. And so being Baptist, being good Baptist for that matter, uh, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We don't have some clarity. You know, there was a time in Southern Baptist life where Baptist preachers would never, ever, no, not never, use the term reverend. And because they did not in any way want to communicate some clarity that there's some hierarchy in the church where the pastor is the 
Reverend, the called one. And, uh, you know, and then there's just the people. No, everyone in this church is equipped by God to do ministry. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 12. That the dude up front isn't more important than the guy that's out in the back. That everyone has an important role. And the, the point I want to press home to you this morning is the point of who does ministry. We live in a professional culture. We have professionals everywhere. Licenses. I mean, you've you got to be licensed to do that, licensed to do that. I mean, we live in a culture that everything's professional. We could talk later about why that is. But because of that, we think that the church is ran by professionals. That, that ministry is done by ministers. No. Ministry is done by you. The, the elder's role in the church is to equip you to do ministry. Is to show you your responsibility to do ministry. Administration. That's ministry. And some people are like, that's not. No, that's listed. That was listed in the gifts of, uh, of gifts of administration. And there are some brothers and sisters who have that gift. But are they using it? Are you using your gifts that God has given you? We talked about those gifts last week. You know, we all know the experience of going to, to a restaurant and having poor service, right? I mean, you think about it from a business perspective. If you want to build like the best restaurant business in all, in all the world, you know, you're going to start with getting a good chef, right? Who can, who can throw together an amazing plate. But it doesn't matter what you put on the plate if everything up to that point was terrible. We've all had that experience, right? We go to like some five-star restaurant, you know, we've got great reviews and we have a bad waiter or waitress. It ruins the night. It sours the food. Nothing tastes good. We're just bitter and want to go home. And did you know that the word deacon means table waiter? And so many of us have bad experiences in church because service isn't happening. And so many times the reason why there's bad service is because everybody thinks they're the one to be served rather than to serve. When we all come in here and we, and we all think everybody else is supposed to wait on us, it gets really confusing, right? Because then there's no waiters. But we've been called to think and to have our gaze open I love this quote by Thabitian and Buile this week. Uh, he wrote this. It is just like God to plan our blessing by turning us away from ourselves and outward in service to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're not growing spiritually, ask yourself whether it's because you're not connected to a local congregation and serving others as you are. There's a correlation between your spiritual vitality and health and service in the local church. They're connected together. Every Christian has been gifted to serve the, the local church. It could be by praying for the other members. That's a gift of service. Look, I, I don't... I hear often, Pastor, I can't do a lot. I physically can't do... I'm like, can you pray? Yeah. That's, that's like better than coming up here and like ripping this roof off and redoing it. Because you, you understand, like, the work we're in isn't in visible work. We're in invisible work. 
principalities and powers of darkness. Like, you, you, you spend your mornings praying for the members of the church. You get that directory out and you pray through that spiritual warfare prayers from Ephesians 5 and 6. Let me tell you what, that is what we need. You can serve the body by praying. You can serve the body by coming early to service and staying late. Like, plan your day. Like saying, hey, all right, when the, you know, the clock strikes 12, I'm not going to run out of here. No. You stay late. And I don't mean just come and chit-chat about the weather. I mean come and ask spiritual questions. How are you doing in your prayer life? How are you doing loving your wife, loving your kids? How, how are things at home? Come early. Stay late. Share meals with one another with the aim of spiritual care. Don't just share a good meal without asking one spiritual question. I don't understand that. Read the Bible together. I'm not saying come up with some rigid plan or something like that where, you know, we're going to meet every, you know, Tuesday at this time. No, like just, you know, do it or like get together, read the Bible, be encouraged with the scriptures, sing together. One of the things I wanted to point to this morning is singing as a means to serving others in the church. So if you're one of those super spiritual people that that I want to strangle sometimes who say, oh, well, pastor, you don't want to hear me sing. Well, that's cute that you think you're God because he created you to sing. He gave you vocal cords to sing. Unless you can't open, like no noise comes out of your mouth. Uh, he created you to sing, so sing. We'll get to that later in Ephesians 5. But, but no, seriously, one of the ways you serve my soul so well with that song, whatever my God ordains is right. I mean, that is encouraging to hear you remind me of those truths. So everyone has been gifted to do that. Wherever you are, you could write encouraging messages to one another. Whatever. Send a text message. There's little things. We overcomplicate church and make it into this high structure stuff. No, little things that you can do that is fulfilling this passage. That is equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That is our aim and our encouragement. I conclude with this quote. Paul Tripp. In his book, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands, writes this. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense. Something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. Brothers and sisters, let us see the place that God has called us to do ministry is here. He has called us and equipped us to serve one another for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning. That you would be glorified through our lives together as we serve one another. Help us to see the role that, that pastor teachers are to have teaching us, equipping us for the work of ministry. Lord, may we take the mantle of that responsibility to serve in this church and in the small ways that you've called us and enabled us. Lord, equip us, we pray. Show us, reveal to us the ways you've, uh, that you've spiritually gifted us for service. And more, Lord, may we use and employ those. Father, now as we come around your table, we are reminded that we are one body, united together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
As we share the common loaf and the common cup together this morning, a picture of our unity, we are reminded that that is brought to us by the death of our Savior, his death for ours, his life for ours, and his resurrection is ours to live. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.